0: Welcome everyone to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. We're on every weekday during this 43rd Ontario election campaign. Today on the pod, the Liberals go after the PC's economic response to the pandemic. Andrea Horvath and Mike Schreiner are back on the hustings after being sidelined by COVID-19. The PC's receive another union endorsement and we'll dive deep into three new right-wing parties. It's Wednesday, May 25th, 2022 day 22 of the campaign, so let's get to it. John Michael, let's get out on the hustings today and see how the leaders spent their time. Stephen Del Duca, the Liberal leader, began the day outside a Walmart in the northwest part of Toronto on the boundary between the ridings of York Centre and Humber River Black Creek. He's abandoned small business entrepreneurs time and time and time again, in particular during COVID, because he favors giant retail and giant corporations. So we're going to focus on building up small businesses. The NDP
1: will keep attacking us. The Conservatives will keep catering to their buddies and their donors. We'll actually focus on the people of Ontario.
0: Okay, what point was Mr. Del Duca trying to make there?
1: The allegation here is that the uh, Progressive Conservative Party in government favored big businesses at the expense of small business. The uh, people can recall the public health measures that uh, the province was under through the pandemic periodically, of course, uh, and the rules often allowed uh, any food-serving business and anywhere people could buy groceries or uh, that had a pharmacy uh, inside, of course, could stay open. But that includes like WalMarts and Costco's, and you know, to <laughs> you. Might go to Costco to get food, but you're going to go past the big screen TVs on your way in. So it wasn't exactly um, purely a public health measure. And of course, because those stores were open when others were closed, they were also very crowded. And so uh, more than a few people raised the, uh, let's say, public health confusion about all of this. And so, uh, you know, and and of course, at the same time, lots and lots of small businesses were uh, either uh, closed entirely or forced to do curbside pickup. Uh, You know, still something that I know uh, great many resent from the experience of COVID-19.
0: The Progressive Conservative Party leader was asked about this at his campaign stop in Brampton this morning, and here's how he responded. Uh, we supported the small businesses, not the big box stores, but small businesses, by tens of billions of dollars. Uh, we were giving them grants up to $40,000 that they didn't have to pay back, taking care of the electricity costs, their overhead, their labor costs, uh, their rent. Uh, so you know something? I'm a big supporter of small businesses. I was raised in a small business. I get it. And I understand the struggles that they went through. And that's why we stepped up to support them. All right. Going back to the Liberals now, Del Duca wanted a big Walmart store in the backdrop. And he got that by going to that location in Northwest Toronto. But those also happen to be two ridings that are very key to Liberal fortunes. Tell us why.
1: Well, Let's start with York Center because, one way or another, it is going to have a new representative in the legislature after this election. Roman Baber was the uh, former sitting member. Uh, he was elected as a progressive conservative and, uh, like more than a few of his colleagues, uh, left the caucus. Uh, he is now running for the uh, conservative party leadership federally. Uh, Humber River Black Creek went for the New Democrats four years ago. Uh, T- Tom Rokosiewicz is the uh, former sitting member. Both of these 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 writings were held by the Liberals uh, for many years uh, under Dalton McGinty and Kathleen Wynne. uh, And the area of uh, Humber River Black Creek, uh, you know, historically was held by the Tories for 40 years before that. Uh, So you know, it has changed hands now a few times and, uh, you know, clearly the Liberals think it's competitive that they can uh, take it back uh, only eight days from now.
0: Right. E-Day is coming, as they say. Now let me raise something here, John Michael, that uh, we've heard journalists raise a couple of times on the Hustings, and that is... Stephen Del Duca, why isn't Justin Trudeau doing any campaigning for you? And, uh, you know, clearly it's an attempt to sort of show that since Jugmeet Singh has been campaigning for Andrea Horvath, why isn't uh, the federal uh, Liberal Party leader doing any campaigning for his provincial counterpart? And I just want to touch on that for a second because here's the reality. Prime Ministers don't do that. <laughs> this virtually never happens. Uh, this came up four years ago when Justin Trudeau actually did almost nothing for Kathleen Wynne either, uh, despite her having done I think about three dozen events for him when he was running for Prime Minister. Um, Paul Martin did not stump for Dalton McGinty. Joe Clark did not stump for Bill Davis. Brian Mulroney did not stump for Frank Miller. It's a different thing when your federal party leader is the Prime Minister. They just generally, as a rule, do not intervene in provincial elections. Uh, now, You could make the argument that Justin Trudeau did one campaign event, and he actually did it for Doug Ford, which was in southwestern (laughs) Ontario, when they wanted to make that announcement about a battery manufacturing plant uh, in the Windsor area. Uh, That technically was before the writs were drawn up, so it technically wasn't during the campaign. But in terms of the writ period, it's extremely unusual for prime ministers to intervene.
1: And I think people might have gotten the wrong uh, impression from the the Kathleen Wynne period where, uh, let's just say the former Prime Minister Stephen Harper uh, was never shy about expressing his displeasure uh, about the Liberal government in Ontario. There was a really, um, uh, let's say, poisonous relationship at that point between the uh, Ontario provincial government and the federal Canadian government. And, you know, no surprise that Kathleen Wynne uh, really believed that Ontario would be better served uh, by a a change in government in Ottawa, worked hard to get it, got what she wanted. Um, But I think people then uh, assumed that a sort of Interaction between the federal and provincial liberals was like a normal thing, and in fact, it was it was the abnormal thing at the time. And I, you know, I remember speaking to liberals in 2014 who uh, really thought that uh, Kathleen Wynne had done so much to get Justin Trudeau elected that it was going to pay dividends for them in the future. And it was uh, a, a bit of a rude awakening in 2018 when the prime minister was uh, nowhere to be found. <laughs> Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, you know, also makes the point when he's asked about this, that uh, plenty of federal liberal MPs from Ontario are you know, out knocking on doors, stumping for provincial liberal candidates. Uh, so it's it's not like the federal party is uh, entirely absent from uh, provincial affairs right now. Uh, the Liberals did also uh, today make uh, a new allegation against the progressive conservatives on the uh, ethics front. Uh, they uh, said that staff for the progressive conservative candidate in Don Valley North, Vincent K., registered at least 15 different corporations and that a $25,000 provincial grant was given to a uh, a local association in that riding that is uh, tied to a a political associate of the former MPP and and now uh, PC candidate. Uh, The Liberals are calling this a clear conflict of interest, though, uh, for the record, PC leader Doug Ford denied the allegations when asked about it earlier today.
0: Let's move on to the NDP. Andrea Horvath was back in person today in the riding of Etobicoke Lakeshore, pitching increased investments in mental health, particularly for young people.
1: Ontarians can come together in this election and make sure that people can get the mental health services that they need, as I said, with their OHIP card and not a credit card. Uh, Horvath did one of her events where she, we've talked about these before, you know, she gathers people in a bit of a semi-circle uh, and asks them just to talk about their experiences. It's, uh, you know, a nice break from the, you know, standard <laughs> placard and Wait, I'm going to get this wrong. Is it a podium or a lectern? It's a lectern. <laughs> Aha. Um, it's uh, a, a placard and a lectern. Um, you know, it's it's a very uh, human form of communication. It, it can be very effective when it works. I, I think I've said before that sometimes it can sort of take all the energy out of an announcement, but I thought it worked today. Um, you know, they got people to, to talk about, uh, you know, some very... Um, let's say, uh, troubling uh, personal moments in their lives and, and why they needed mental health supports, uh, you know, to, to help them get through that. Uh, and then, you know, after having that that conversation, that's when uh, Andrew Horvath, uh, you know, then starts speaking and and talking about what the new Democrats would do if they uh, go on to form government.
0: And in case you don't listen to this podcast every day, and shame on you if you don't, but in case you don't, Uh, John Michael was making a reference there to somebody who sent us an email a few days ago saying, you two screw up the difference between podium and lectern all the time. They're not the same thing and you can't use the words interchangeably. And Mr. McGrath, you just used the word lectern appropriately there. So I'm sure the person who sent us that email will be grateful for that. Um, Just another word on Andrea Horvath. She is on the agenda tonight. We've got a feature interview with her on the campaign, on the platform, uh, on the fact that she's had to uh, be off the hustings for the last several days trying to fight COVID-19. She looked a lot better. She sounded a lot better today uh, when she was doing her vent. And after, you know, oftentimes what happens is when you tape an interview, after the interview's over, you've got a few seconds left before the the feed breaks down. And, uh, you know, you just chat very informally. And she and I did have a chat Uh, after the cameras were off about fighting COVID-19 because we've both had it now. And we both agreed, you don't want it. (laughs) So if you haven't been vaccinated yet, you might wanna think about doing it now. Uh, We both got knocked on our keisters with that COVID-19. It really knocked us off. And um, well, as she said, it's not great timing uh, to be unable to get out on the hustings uh, in the dying days of a campaign when you've got a lot of ground to make up, Uh, but she seems much better now, so good for her. You know, the, these folks are supporting us because they know that we're going to make sure that they have uh, jobs for the future. There's Doug Ford, the PC leader in Brampton, detailing another union endorsement, this time for the HVAC and Refrigeration Workers of Ontario. Uh, that's Local 787, and we have talked about this before, but the PC party, you got to hand it to them. They're getting private sector union endorsements, maybe as never before. Given where this party started when it came into office four years ago, it is really quite an astonishing development.
1: You know, this government uh, came into power You know, reversing uh, a really uh, large number of uh, labor law changes that the Liberals made in uh, 2017 and 2018. uh, Perhaps you know most generally uh, applicable, Uh, they halted minimum wage increases that had been planned under the Wynne government. Uh, They only partly reversed those moves more recently. But uh, you know, perhaps you know (laughs) the most notable during the pandemic was that the uh, Liberal government had ended the practice of employers uh, requiring sick notes from doctors when people uh, took more than i think the you know the usual standard was like three days off um, and then of course uh, when the pandemic started they had to very quickly rejig things so that no in fact you know employers couldn't force workers to go to a doctor if they got covid um, to, to justify the time off uh, you know the the pcs had also been you know historically hostile to uh, unions generally uh, including i mean this is particularly notable uh, uh, the uh, pc party's attitude towards construction unions in particular i mean you and i are <laughs> both been around long enough that you know i can remember uh, when the PCs were in opposition, uh, saying that you know construction unions were part of the problem of, of uh, you know not getting homes built cheaply and, and quickly enough uh, in Ontario, um, and now of course construction unions are growing into uh, a major pillar of support for the PC party. Uh, part of that, of course, is you know just a ton of work done by uh, Labour Minister Monty McNaughton. Uh, he has uh, really, I think, changed the attitude of the party and of the, 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 the party in government. Uh, you know, has, has reached out. Um, you know, he, he has brought labor leaders to the party, but he also brought the party to labor leaders. It's a, it's a very interesting story there. Um, and, you know, the, the government has a, a minister not just uh, of labor, but for labor as well. So it clearly uh, it paying off, at, at least in some respect.
0: This reminds me, Lock, John Michael, of something that happened, oh, I guess it's going on four decades ago, and this was the, the notion of Reagan Democrats. That's a term that was used in the 1980s because Ronald Reagan, of course, a staunch right-wing Republican, at least by the standards of that day, not by this day, but of that day, uh, still managed to, to win 49 states in his re-election bid in 1984 because he got what are called Reagan Democrats to vote for him, and that's blue collar, oftentimes unionized, Uh, workers uh, who simply felt that they had lost uh, touch with the Democratic Party at the time, in the same way that I suppose many of the uh, private sector labor unions in Ontario right now do not feel the connection as much with the NDP or with the Liberals. It's a fascinating development in U.S. politics four decades ago, and we're seeing evidence that it's happening in Ontario right now.
1: And, you know, I think there is a element of what's going on. and I apologize if I've said this already on the podcast, but it's all kind of a blur at this point. Um, to a certain extent, what we are seeing is union leadership catching up to where its members already were. I mean, I think the the open secret in the labor movement for many, many years is that they might endorse uh, new Democrats or liberals uh, around election time, but the actual guys swinging lunch pails and hammers were voting uh, Progressive Conservative more often than not.
0: That's so true. I can remember, and again, we're going back 40 plus years, I remember talking to Liberals and New Democrats who could not understand how Bill Davis, a Progressive Conservative Premier who had Labour leaders burning him an effigy outside Queen's Park, and yet those ridings which were particularly filled with union members, often voted progressive conservative for Davis. Uh, He just, he made that connection with them in a way that Doug Ford is now making a connection with that same constituency. Great point. I don't think actually you had made it before. So that's a really good point. Okay. Let's not forget the Greens. Mike Schreiner was back out in person in Perry Sound, Muskoka after isolating because he of course also tested positive for COVID-19.
1: And today I'd like to announce our seven point plan to support Perry Sound,
0: Muskoka. Mr. Schreiner talked about expanding health care options. He talked housing affordability. He wants to develop a main street strategy to make sure our main streets don't disappear because of COVID-19. Transit improvements, of course, bringing down the cost of utility bills. Uh, Flood protection, an important issue, of course, in central Ontario. Improving education. And the Greens are making this election all about, I shouldn't say all about, predominantly about Guelph and Perry Sound, Muskoka. Not much else, frankly. Those are the two places where they, can, you know, continue to hope to be able to plant their flag. And again, I've asked you this a few times. You've been up to Perry Sound, Muskoka. Um, you think it's a smart strategy?
1: <laughs> well, it's their best shot to double their caucus size, right, from one to two. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's the smartest place to put their time and money right now. Uh, I know that they have bought some radio ads on the the regional radio station in Perry Sound, Muskoka. Uh, I believe it's. Is it the moose? Um, and uh, they're clearly looking to make a, a fight of it there. I, you know, I've seen some indication that they you know might be pulling even with the progressive conservative uh, candidate in the riding uh, we've mentioned before, Graydon Smith, uh, the mayor of Bracebridge. I mean, you mentioned flood protection, but you know, just to give people an issue of, of how these issues can cut both ways. I mean, obviously the Greens uh, can talk about how important it is to fight climate change to try and prevent few. Future, uh, catastrophic floods. But, you know, Graydon Smith led his you know local response to uh, really severe flooding not that many years ago uh, in Bracebridge. And I think a lot of voters in the region will remember seeing his face on the local TV, you know, uh, helping to, uh, uh, you know, lead the response there. So, you know, talking about flooding, obviously, you know, the Green Party has reason to do that. But It may remind people of, oh, hey, wait, there was another guy who who was doing a lot of talking about flooding, and I liked him not that long ago. So you you never know.
0: Well, this does remind me to the fact that I think Mike Schreiner had to run four times before he finally had that breakthrough and won Guelph four years ago. And the candidate for the Greens in Parry Sound, Muskoka is a guy by the name of Matt Richter. He was actually on the agenda a couple of nights ago. And this will be his fifth time contesting this seat. He has run in every election since 2007. So, and when you ask Mike Schreiner, you know, do do you really think you've got a shot to win this seat? And his answer is always, well, you know what? People never think we've got a shot to win it until we win it. And then the breakthrough happens. No, and Richter's been in Green Party politics
1: longer than Schreiner has, actually. (laughs) There you
0: go. Yes, indeed. All right, we have, if people listen to this podcast frequently, they will know that we spend most of our time talking about the four major parties, but there are, in fact, I think about 30 parties that have been sanctioned by Elections Ontario to run candidates in this election campaign. And I noted this week that the Ontario Party, which is a new one, it started running ads on TV, so they must have some money, and they are pitching their mission statement. Let's have a listen.
1: We live in a dangerous time. Those addicted to power want to take our freedoms away. But the people have awakened. This is where we hold the line. The time has come to take Ontario back. So, this is one of uh, three major, uh, semi-major, I guess we could say, uh, conservative parties, right-wing parties that have emerged, uh, basically because uh, they believe that the progressive conservatives are are not conservative enough. Uh, You have the Ontario Party, uh, currently led by Derek Sloan. He was a former MP federally for the Conservative Party, uh, was kicked out of that party for uh, (laughs) To say the least controversial, you could even say racist statements uh, against uh, Teresa Tam, the Chief Public Health Officer of Canada. You have uh, former MPP Rick Nichols uh, running for that party in uh, Chatham-Kent, Leamington. He, of course, was booted from the Provincial Progressive Conservative Party uh, for uh, refusing to get vaccinated. We also have the new blue party uh was created by Jim Carajalios and represented in the last legislature by Belinda Carajalios, who uh, was also a former Progressive Conservative MPP. Uh, and you have the Ontario First Party, which was, uh, I guess, uh, highlighted or, or uh, led a little bit by Randy Hillier, (laughs) the uh, former MPP for Lanark Frontenac Kingston uh, in the the last legislature, but he is not running again. But the uh, party is, uh, I I would say, associated with the Federal People's Party, uh, led by Maxime Bernier. So, three uh, let's say, can we politely say fringe parties, Uh, all competing for the more conservative than thou space.
0: Well, we'll find out how fringy they are, because, uh, you know, they are couple obvious questions that emerge from all this. Number one, can these three conservative parties or any one of them attract enough votes to win a seat? And almost certainly the answer is no. We've talked about Mike Schreiner already. Uh, It took him four chances uh, before he won a seat. So this is the first time out the gate for these three parties. So it's tough to win your first time out the gate. Uh, second thing, though, could they attract enough votes to deprive the progressive conservatives of a seat they might otherwise win? Now, that's a more interesting question.
1: Well, and it'll be one of the most interesting questions of election night, no matter how uh, things shake out. You know, we've talked about the New Blue Party a lot uh, on this podcast. They have managed the uh, achievement that the Liberal Party of Ontario has not, which is uh, having candidates in every single riding in the province. Um, You know, they they are showing up in the polling if uh, the poll asks uh, for them by name, you know, somewhere in the range of, you know, two to four percent. Not enough to win a seat, obviously. Uh, But uh, we did talk about uh, yesterday uh, the AI that... uh, TVO has partnered with uh, Polly from Advanced Symbolics. Uh, Stephen Del Duca has about a 2.2% lead in his riding over the former sitting Progressive Conservative member, Michael Tobolo. Uh, if New Blue takes 3% of the votes in Vaughan Woodbridge, those are votes that might otherwise have gone to the Progressive Conservatives and, you know, therefore could tip the balance for the Liberals in that riding. Uh, a similar story might be unfolding in peterborough kawartha uh, According to some polling by Main Street Research, commissioned by QP Briefing, uh, that riding was held by Progressive Conservative candidate Dave Smith before the House was dissolved, but the Liberals might actually be able to edge the Tories out in that riding, uh, in part due to Conservative votes going to uh, the New Blue Party and the Ontario Party. So we're going to have to watch this dynamic unfold, not just in in one riding, but in, you know, a, a handful of ridings around the province uh, on election night.
0: Absolutely right. And that is the On Poly podcast for Day 22. A reminder, we're here every weekday during this 43rd general election campaign, right through to Election Day, June the 2nd. JMM, we'll see
1: you on the hustings. We'll see you tomorrow, Steve.